Hey, happy Memorial Day, and uh, welcome to Genesis Church. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we're wrapping up a series today, uh, a series that we've titled Teach Your Children, and we've been talking a lot about dads and a lot about what dads do and the priority in being a father. We've talked a lot about moms and what it means to be a mother and, again, to teach your children to love the Lord. And speaking of moms, I ran across uh, this article this past week, uh, Top Five Ways to Know That You're a Mom. And I was just kind of wondering if maybe you would find any of this true, if you would agree with this uh, in in any way whatsoever, but top five ways uh, to know you're a mom. Number five. You hide in the bathroom because it's the only place you can be alone. How many moms here have ever done anything like that? And maybe, maybe you've got an ice cream sandwich and you don't want to share, right? Or you've got a piece of chocolate that you don't want the kids to have. And so you've got that place that you hide. Number four, your child throws up and you catch it. Anybody ever done that before? You ever made that catch? I've done that as a father. I've made that catch. Number three, someone else's child throws up and you catch it, right? You've done that. And then you, go, you wash your hands and you go right back to eating. I mean, it's like, hey, it's just a part of life, you move on. Number two, top five ways to know your mom. Number two, you firmly believe that ketchup counts as a vegetable, right? I mean, uh, and number one, uh, top five ways to know your mom. Number one, you hear a report that says the average five-year-old asks 637 questions a day, and you are proud to say that your child's above average, right? You know those questions. But uh, hey, the title of our series uh, comes right out of a passage in Proverbs 22, uh, verse 6. Now, many believe that Solomon, uh, a king, a man who was known for his wisdom, and let's not forget that he was a dad too, that he wrote these words, uh, and he writes. He, he writes to us. He writes to parents. Uh, he writes to grandparents. He writes to aunts and uncles, to single parents. He writes to those that hope to be a parent one day. He says to us, he says, hey, here's what I've learned in life and what I now pass on to you. Teach your children. You got to do it. Make it a priority. Teach your children how they should live, and they will remember it all their life. I mean, he's basically saying, parents, what you do matters. I mean, all of the work all of the frustration, all of the letdowns, all of the celebration, all the highs and lows, all of the work, all of the pain, it all matters. And and teaching and raising your kids is one of the most important things you do. And Ben just talked about it a moment ago, but what's the goal in our parenting? We talked about this. We've been talking about this. The goal of our parenting is this. The most important thing you do as a parent is to teach your children to love the Lord. Like that's the goal. Like that's, that, that's the most important prayer that we pray as parents is that our children would, would, would grow up to love the Lord with all of their heart and with all of their soul and strength. You know, last week we talked about some of the intentional gifts uh, that moms and dads can give their children. If you didn't get a chance to hear that message or any of the last couple of messages, you can always check those out through our website or through our podcast. Uh, today I want to wrap up by talking about the culture Uh, you create in your home and how that Creole culture uh, can make all of the difference uh, for your kids and for your family. And and not only uh, can the culture of your home make a positive difference for your kids' lives, but I believe that the way you live and what you prioritize as a family has the potential to make an eternal impact on the people that are around you, the people that God has put in your sphere of influence. You know, if you read the uh, book of Exodus, the Old Testament book of Exodus, uh, you know that God chose Moses to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and and to the promised land. Well, Moses made most of the journey uh, with the people to the promised land and wasn't able to enter into it. He died uh, at this place, and once Moses died, 
Joshua was appointed the new leader for the people of Israel. And so he was responsible for taking the people uh, the rest of the way into the promised land. And not only was he responsible for the physical journey that came with it, but as their leader, he played a significant part and role in their spiritual journey too. Now, These people had traveled a really long ways. It had been a really long time of traveling and frustration and ups and downs and highs and lows, and they had traveled from this place in Egypt, a place that was known for its false gods and its false idols. And now Joshua and the people are prepared to go in and to take up residency in a new place, in a place where they would raise their families and build brand new homes. And in this new place, I mean, this place that was a lot like Egypt, all right, a, a new land, a new place that was full of false gods and false idols and damaging influence too. And well, let's not forget, you can't forget that these are God's chosen people. Like he had a specific plan for his people, for these people. And so he's not going to accept, God's not going to accept anything less than their hearts fully devoted to him. And that's what Joshua knew. And as their leader, he realized this and he knew what was before them. I mean, he knew how difficult it would be. He knew the, the power and the, the influence of this foreign culture and how challenging it would be for not only these people, but also for his family to remain focused and completely devoted on the Lord. Does it sound any different than what we experience today? And what we're up against as families and as individuals and living in this culture and living for God and as God's chosen people, you know, standing out in a positive way making a difference for our kids and in our own lives and for the people around us. And if you read Joshua 23, you'll read about how Joshua challenged the people to trust in the Lord and, and who had brought them this far. And, and he challenged them to obey the words of God. And he warned them of the danger of giving their lives to anything other than God. And then he spoke these words to them in Joshua chapter 24, uh, beginning in verse 14. He said this, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord, he says. Verse 15. And he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But here's what Joshua says. He says, hey, just so that you know or are all aware, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's who we're living for. See, here's Joshua leading by example. His focus was on God, and he realized his responsibility to his wife and to his children. And Joshua knew that some in the crowd would choose their own ways and would just simply blend in with the rest of culture. But for Joshua's family, they would live for God. He's going to live for God and lead his family in such a way that they would live and that they would serve the Lord too. And you know what? Here's the thing. As God's chosen people, you and I, as followers of Jesus, we have been called to live in this world, but not of this world, as the Scriptures say. The Bible says that we are foreigners and strangers, and that this world is our temporary home, and that our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior to come from there. But until then, as God's chosen people, we're here to live for God. We're here to make His name famous and to bring glory to Him and to bring attention to Him in positive ways and and to make a difference as we live for God, to make a difference for our kids and for our families and for the people around us. You know, today as we uh, finish up our series, um, 
teach your children, um, I, I want to finish up by asking you to think about the life that you're living. Uh, the life that you're living right now as a mom, as a dad, as a grandma, as a grandpa, as a brother, as a sister, as a student. Um, I think it pertains to all of us in some way or another, but I want to ask you about the life that you're living and specifically the home that you are building or establishing with your family. And my question for you is this, will you consider for yourself what it might mean to continue or to work towards, to make it your goal to build a home that makes all the difference? A home that can really make a difference in the culture that we're living in right now for the sake of your kids and in your own life, but also for the people around you. And what does a home that make a difference looks like? Well, a home that makes a difference, it's in your notes. A home that makes a difference, first of all, is a home that blesses. It's a home that's full of blessing. Now, parents, I, I just want to encourage you. I want to urge you to create a, a culture of blessing in your home. Now, when I say blessing, I'm talking about affirming the good uh, that God has put into your kids and the good that He wants to and uh, bring from it in the future. It's the whole uh, I see in you principle. Four letters, I see in you. I see in you is when you tell someone. It's when you look at your kids. It's, it's you saying, hey, here's what I see in you. Here's what I see God doing in you and what he's put in you and what he wants to do in your life. It's when you make it a point uh, to be intentional about encouraging and affirming your kids. I mean, God has put specific good in all people. I mean, James reminds us of that. In James 1.17, he reminds us that every positive quality, every positive trait, any ability that is helpful or has the potential to be helpful or good, that it all comes from God. And so what we can do as parents is that we can bless our kids by taking every opportunity to, to say what we see, you know, that God has put in them and the good that can potentially come from it. And so things like, you know, I, I see kindness and compassion in you. Uh, to be able to look into your kids and to look into their hearts and to say these sorts of things. You know, I, I see intelligence in you and what could come from that intelligence. I, I see a heart for people in you. I can look at my kids and say, hey, I, I see my good looks in you, right? I mean, you, you can say that to your kids if it's true. But don't confuse these blessings or this encouragement with unnecessary praise either. It's not about making your kids uh, feel good about themselves, but again, it's about seeing, it's about them seeing God's work and seeing God's potential in their lives. I mean, you can make a difference in your home and with your home and for your kids by being a place of blessing and affirmation. You know, there's a great example of this uh, in Genesis chapter 12, uh, in the first book of the Old Testament. It's a great example of God the Father uh, doing this for Abraham and his future. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. And so we see that it's in the future. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Man, see for yourself. See how God blessed Abraham and then showed him how he would be a blessing, a blessing that would make a difference for others around him. You can do that for your kids too. You can teach them and train them and show them how God has put them here on the earth to be a blessing and how He has them here for a reason and how that God wants to use them to make all of the difference beginning right now in their school and as they grow older and as they go off to college one day and as they get married and they can be a blessing and a difference for others. I mean, what kind of home makes a difference? It's a home that, that blesses. You know, two weeks ago, we, uh, we talked about uh, 
raising your kids to love the Lord and how uh, the three C's provides a great example or maybe a model for you to kind of follow and to ask questions of or maybe uh, create some opportunities uh, for your kids from it. Again, it's, it's, it's about modeling for them. We have to model for them, right? I mean, your kids have to see it in you, but it's about modeling for them and encouraging them to do those things to grow in their own relationship with Jesus. We talked about the importance of making worship a priority in your family, and, and not only worship, but as they grow in their own relationship with Jesus to teach them the value of reading the Bible and to teach them about prayer. We talked about the importance of relationships and how through those relationships and how you can encourage your kids to get involved in things like Gen Kids here and, and in our student ministry and how these things help. Uh, we also talked about the importance of serving and giving and how your kids are really never too young to learn these things. And again, you can model it for them and you can teach them and train them and in their own relationship. And so you can teach them these important priorities. You can encourage them uh, with disciplines like these, disciplines that will encourage and grow their faith. But I want to throw another one out there. And we've, we've talked about this a little bit the last couple of weeks, but a discipline that I think is so easy uh, for us to neglect, but a discipline that can make all the difference, not only in your family and in your kids' lives, but I think can make all the difference for you too. And again, we talked about a home that blesses, but let me give you another. The second one is this, a home that makes a difference is a home that rests. Uh, it's a home that pushes pause once in a while uh, and slows down. I mean, it's a, home that, that it's a home where you refuse to say yes to everything, that you give yourselves permission to start saying no to some things. I mean, our, our culture Let's just say life in the suburbs, if you would, says that you have to be on the run every day and every night and never slow down. And you know what I think? I think it's killing us. I think it's killing us. I think it's destroying our kids. I think it's destroying marriages and it's destroying our families. And, and when you think about it, it's part of the reason why God gave us the Sabbath. I mean, he, God gave us rest and He modeled it for us, and He modeled that in His Son, Jesus. And in the Old Testament, God commanded His people to do all the work and to do it in six days and then to take the day off and to rest and to enjoy the Sabbath and to remember God and to be together as a family and to enjoy life. And we're going to talk about priorities. We're going to talk about the pace of life. We're going to talk about Sabbath and rest in a couple of months. But until then, I want to encourage you as a family, to slow down. And moms and dads, do you even do that work? And maybe even ask yourself that question today and in the next couple of days of what does it look like for our family to get intentional about slowing down? And, and it's more than moms and dads. I'd really challenge all of us to think about this. I mean, I'd challenge you to schedule rest into your week. I mean, for the sake of your health and for the sake of your own sanity and for the sake of your family too, to set aside maybe a day a week and just simply slow down. And it's a day where you silence your phone and you put it away and you put away the iPad and, and to be fully present with the people that you love, to be fully present with your kids and with your family. And if you can't find a whole day, what would it look like for you this summer to set aside a couple of evenings a week where you just simply slow down? And if you can't find a couple of evenings a week, then you have a problem and you've got some work to do. And to be honest, it probably will be a little painful and a little difficult to do the work to slow down, but it's worth it. And honestly, I, I just want to let you know, too, that it's why we, we are very careful about what we schedule and what we program as a church and, and even the limit to some of those things that we say yes to. I mean, we've had to say no to some really good ideas for the sake of, I, I don't want you here seven nights a week, you know? 
I, I don't think it's, that's the goal for us, that, that we get so busy as a church that people are here every single day doing things, and you've never got time to be at home and to be with your family and to rest and to build relationships with neighbors and the people around you. You know, not too long after I came on staff here at Genesis, um, and I had previously served at some wonderful churches, some really uh, large churches in, in a couple of different places, and they were churches that were known for really full schedules. I mean, they did everything. And in fact, there was this one church that I served at that it wasn't uncommon that our family was in the building on the premises of this particular church four or five nights a week. And, and they were good things. And there were all these things going on and so many things. And as our family and so many other families, I mean, we were there almost every night of the week. And, and I just remember after coming to Genesis and we had already, and the elders of this church and many of you who were a part of Genesis had been talking about, you know what it would mean to be laser focused. And we don't want to do everything, but we want to do a few things and ask people to commit to a few things for the sake of being able to live your lives at home and to build relationships with neighbors and to be involved with your kids at their school and all these things. But let's do fewer things. And so all that said, not too long after coming on staff here, I was eating lunch with a, a pastor friend of mine, a guy by the name of Jeff Kryowski. He pastors Common Ground Church in Indianapolis. And I was talking about this, and I, I said to him, I said, Jeff, I, I just got to be honest with you. I feel a little guilty in that I'm at home so much. I'm used to being so busy, and we just don't have a lot of things going on. And I just remember him looking across the table and looking me in the eye and saying, what, what's wrong with that? He said, Paul, I want to remind you this. And he had been doing ministry a lot longer than I had. He said, Paul, I want to remind you of this. He said, you're not only at your church to stand on that stage and to teach people the Word of God, but to also live as an example for them. He said, hey, man, go be an example. Go be a model as much as you can of, of what it means to live for Jesus and to prioritize your family and to rest and to be involved in your neighborhood and in your kids' lives and with the people around you. And, man, I, I can't make a list uh, I mean, just of all the things that, man, I fail in over and over again. But I'll tell you, the one thing that I'm trying to do is to really lead my family well. And I, I want this very same thing for you, that we schedule that time of rest and that we're with our families and that we prioritize that time with them. And, and so for you to find time to rest and slow down, find, find a way of pushing pause to be together as a family, refuse to give in to the never-ending pace of our culture I mean, you can spend time at home. I'm giving you that permission and to rest. And as you slow down and as you spend time together, here's something else. Do this along the way because it's worth it. Have fun. Have fun as a family. Uh, make, your, make your family, uh, make your uh, home a fun place to live. I mean, I believe that a home that makes a difference is a home where you have fun. I mean, it's a, it's a fun place to live. I mean, be that fun family. I mean, you get one time. Man, I'm reminded of this all the time. My wife reminds me of this. We get one time around with our kids. We're not going to get these day, days back. And so have fun. Spend that intentional time together. Take adventures together as a family. I mean, growing up for me, uh, my parents didn't have a lot of money, uh, but they always made it a point and made it a priority to take us on some sort of trip together every single summer. I mean, those are memories that I'll never forget. And uh, that's something that's important, uh, really important to Jenny and me. I mean, we love traveling with our kids uh, and so we live on a budget, and we say no to a whole bunch of things for the sake of having some resources to take our kids on these trips and, and on these adventures. And, and not only do we travel with them, but we're always uh, at least trying to have fun with our kids, especially uh, when we're at home. For example, right now, uh, we, we love playing things like kickball uh, in our backyard. And uh, so just the other night, I was out mowing, 
and Jenny and some of the neighbor kids were in the backyard and they were kind of hanging out together. And I got to tell you that I really wanted to finish mowing. All right, I mean, that's what I had in mind was to finish mowing the grass. And in that moment, and maybe it was the Holy Spirit, I just know that there are probably so many opportunities that I miss all the time because I've got something to do. And for whatever reason, in that moment, I shut off the mower, and let's just say this spontaneous game of kickball uh, erupted in our backyard with our kids and the neighbor kids. And I'll be honest, I dominated. I really did. And, and, and it's fun because my, my boys are at that age where I can almost throw it as hard as I want now at them and just kind of teach them some lessons about life and all. And... Uh, but we had a good time. But hey, here's what I know. I realize that things like kickball won't always be the first choice for my kids. They're going to have other options. But we're doing everything that we can, and I want to challenge you to do everything your kid to, uh, can to make your home a fun place so that one day your kids will choose to be at home, that they'll choose home. And so do that work. I mean, parents establish traditions and memories, you know, that will last and that your kids will remember. I, I posed the question on Facebook and Twitter this past week and just asked, hey, what are some of those great memories that you have uh, with your kids or with your parents? One guy told me about how his dad took he and his brother out for breakfast every Friday morning from first grade all the way through high school. Man, can you imagine the memories and the conversations that probably took place around that breakfast table? Uh, one husband and wife eat breakfast with their kids at Rosie's every Christmas Eve. That's a new tradition for them. Uh, for one family, uh, when it's your birthday, uh, you don't have to make your bread, do dishes, and you get to pick what's for dinner uh, that night. That's their tradition. Another guy shared about how he remembered going to see a movie every year on Christmas Day with his family. Have fun as a family. Man, do those things. Surprise your kids. I mean, when you're together, be fully present and avoid distractions. Establish traditions and memories that make a difference and that your kids will never forget. Here's another thing. A home that makes a difference is a home that eats together. Uh, pastor writer Dave Stone has written uh, several books on parenting, and he calls dinner time the hour of power. Uh, and in one of his books, he talks about the difference that eating together as a family can make, and he cites research uh, show, showing that eating together as a family does a number of different things. Things like eating together as a family gives your child a 40% greater chance at A's and B's in school. Studies show that. Uh, studies show, research shows that eating together makes your child three times less likely to try marijuana, two times less likely to smoke cigarettes, and one time less likely to drink alcohol. Uh, eating together helps teens know that their parents are proud of them. Uh, research shows that it helps teens realize that they can confide in their parents when there's a serious problem. And research also shows that eating together as a family at home reduces your child's chance of obesity by 40%. Dinner time. That's it. Shared meals around the table are essential to healthy families and families that can make all of the difference for kids. And what happens around the dinner table? Man, it's just a place to teach some of those things that we've been talking about, to teach things like manners and respect and how to treat others. Uh, it's where we teach our kids to listen to one another and to laugh together. It's a, another opportunity to bless your children, to encourage them and to talk to them about their faith and their relationship with Jesus. Uh, the dinner table is a place to plan out your next adventure or your next trip, to, to talk about what's coming up the next day or to pray together. Uh, Dr. Catherine Snow is a professor of education at the Harvard uh, Graduate School of Education. She followed 65 families over an eight-year period, and in her research, she found that there was one thing of more value to child development than playtime, school time, or story time. You probably know what I'm going to say. What was the big winner? 
dinner time. Shared meals together as a family around the table. Hey, no matter how old your kids are right now, if they're still at home, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to make time to eat dinner together as a family. And if you can't do this every night of the week, maybe ask yourself, okay, can we do it three or four or five times a week? Uh, find time together at the table as a family. Spend that quality time with each other and make a difference that really matters in the life of your kids. And, and I know that you might have to get really creative in this uh, because especially if your kids are older or it's the summer and you've got a lot of things that are going on kind of like ours uh, right now, I mean, uh, you might have to be flexible. And so dinner time might mean eating at 8 o'clock some nights or maybe even as late as 9 just for the sake of having that time together around the dinner table, but do the work and make the effort so that you can eat together as a family as often as you can. And, and I know, and I just kind of feel the need to say this, that, that if any part of you thinks that any of what we talk about or even what we've been talking about here is just kind of crazy, almost to the point that you would say, who lives like this? You know, I mean, what are we, the Waltons or something? You know, I mean, is this little house on the, on the prairie? I mean, no one does this. That's the point. I mean, that's what God and Joshua were trying to do with the people of Israel. I mean, Joshua reminded them, you're the people of God. You, you are to live in this world, but that doesn't mean doing everything like the world. And I just really believe that the same is true for today. The same is true for us, that as Christians, as God's chosen people, we're called to live in this world, but that doesn't mean doing everything like the world. You know, a few of our pastors um, were together for a conference uh, a few weeks back, and um, the speaker was talking about what it means to live as a Christian and, and what it means to love people and to help people find their way back to God. And his challenge for us was this. He challenged us to live what he called questionable lives. He said, I want you to go out, I want you to live questionable lives. And, and what did he mean by that? Well, he was just simply saying, as Christians, I want you to live your life in such a way that it creates curiosity amongst others to live your life in such a way that it causes others around you to look at your life and to look at your family and ask, what is it? What is it that makes you different? What, what, what is it? I mean, why, why, why do you have joy in your heart? Why do you enjoy each other as a family? Why, why is your outlook in life filled with so much hope? It's what he called the questionable life. You know, today I want to ask you that question. As a follower of Jesus, are you living a questionable life right now? And because the truth is that if you're living your life like the rest of the world, then you leave no room for any person to ask any question about why you're living different. It's a questionable life. Are you living like that? I mean, are you teaching your kids, establishing a home, a questionable home with questionable families? Are you willing to do the things, to live a questionable, you know, life and to have a questionable home, a home that makes all the difference for you and for your kids, but also for the people around you. Maybe looking for and praying about that opportunity to make an eternal difference in the life of someone else. Another thing you can do is be a home that forgives. A home that makes a difference is a home that forgives. You know, in, the, uh, in his book, As for Me and My House, Walt Wangeren says the most important thing to be good at in relationships is forgiving. 
uh, that when it comes to the spiritual formation of our kids, it's essential to develop a culture of forgiveness uh, in our homes. Now, when it comes to creating that culture of forgiveness in our homes, do you know where it starts? It starts with me. And if you're a parent or if you're the primary caretaker of a child, I mean, it starts with you. And when I say that, I, I'm not just talking about extending forgiveness, but as parents, we need to be good at asking for forgiveness too. Um, I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago, I, I had to ask forgiveness of my uh, eight-year-old Luke, but maybe not uh, in the way that you would think. Uh, as I've mentioned before, so my boys are playing baseball right now, and Luke, our eight-year-old, is playing. He's playing for the Yankees, uh, and here's a picture of him here. And like any kid, and well, like any father, I have the responsibility of taking video, right, and getting all of the highlights uh, so that they can watch it afterwards. Dads, you know what it's like to be in that position. And so Luke has kind of had this expectation that I'll do just that. Well, I don't always get every hit, but I was coaching first base here. You can see me from the first base box, and I know it's a little difficult to see, but Luke is up to bat there, and so I'm ready to go. And wouldn't you know it, on the very next pitch, I mean, Luke lit into it, and line drive over the right center fielder's head. The bases were loaded, all right? I'm trying to coach the base, all right? Also take video, and Luke comes rounding first and goes to second and goes to third, and he makes it all the way home, and I've got it all on video, right, for this grand slam. And, uh, well, I thought I was taking video, but have you ever had that accident where you thought you were taking video, but you only get a snapshot instead? And so this is the memory that I have. I mean, this is just before that pitch, and instead of getting the video, I, it was hashtag dad fail, really. I mean, it's what it was. I mean, this big dad fail of a moment. And so Luke was excited. Hey, did you get video? Well, no, but I got a snapshot of you standing in the box. And uh, you've got great form uh, here, son. But you know what? There are times in our home, there are plenty of times when for me as a dad or for my wife, we have to go to our kids and ask for forgiveness. You know, I, I messed up. Or, and one of the biggest complaints that teenagers have is that moms and dads don't ever admit that they're wrong. Let me ask you this. Do you know how to apologize and to ask for forgiveness from your kids without following it up with a but or some kind of razzle, ra rationalization for what you did? I mean, as a parent, can you say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me without justifying or excusing, you know, whatever it is that they did? I mean, secondly, are you good at forgiving your kids? Are you doing that work to create that culture in your home? I mean, don't, don't overlook things. Don't overlook inappropriate behavior, but help them understand. Help your kids understand the, the consequences for sin and poor choices. Discipline them uh, appropriately, but then extend love and forgiveness to them. I mean, think about it. The very foundation of a person's relationship with God is that God forgives. God's grace. It covers over our mistakes and flaws and failures. And for kids to experience that grace and then to experience it over and over again. Again, it's not about looking the other way to poor behavior, but about demonstrating forgiveness in our homes and with our kids. And, and when you think about it, you know, when you think that you are about done extending forgiveness, consider what it is that God does for you each day. I mean, how many times has He forgiven you? How many times has He forgiven me? 
How long has he put up with my behavior and your behavior and, and waiting for us to change? Peter said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. He challenges us as followers of Jesus. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And that's what forgiveness does. It acknowledges the wrong, but takes care of the negative effects of it too. A home that forgives can make all the difference in the lives of your kids. It's a beautiful way to teach your, your kids about God and His grace, and, and they need to know that. I mean, they need to know the power of His love and His grace when they're young because they're going to need it when they're middle school students and high school students and when they go off to college and when they're on their own one day. And you know what else? Communion reminds us of that. It reminds us of the gift of Jesus Christ and how His life covers over a multitude of sins. Not just all sins, but my sins. And Christ's death and sacrifice reminds us that the penalty of sin has been covered. And, and so what we do is we take communion together as a church and as a family to remember the one in whose life made all of the difference. And because he lived and because he gave his life, there's nothing in this world that can overcome us. You know, our uh, citizenship is in heaven, and as uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, until Jesus returns, uh, we're His representatives right here on this earth as His ambassadors, and that means that we're here to influence culture, just as the people of Israel were invited to do and to help people find their way back to God, and that means making a difference for the sake of our kids and for our families, but also... Uh, for the sake of making a difference, an eternal difference for the people that are around us. There's one more thing in your notes. Uh, finally, I want to challenge you to be uh, a home that's on mission, a home with a mission. You know, Joshua said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And, and what happens, you know, when you make it your primary goal to serve the Lord and to love God together as a family? You start living a questionable life. You start living a life where people around you, they stop and they wonder and ask, what is it? What is it that leads you to live like you do? And so live on mission together as a family. Serve the Lord together as a family. Make serving uh, the goal for the people that God has put around you and in your life right now. Find ways to serve together and to pray for people. Pray for people in your apartment complex. Pray for people that, that live on your street. Maybe pray for people that are in your same home right now or in your family, people who are far from the Lord, and ask God to use you, to use your kids, and to use your family to make a difference. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray and we ask that you would use us in great ways beyond anything that we could imagine or ever do on our own. We want to make the name of Jesus famous. We want to have a, make a difference in the lives of our kids, but we also want to make a difference, Lord, for the people that are living around us right now. And so I pray that you would prompt us and remind us to pray, to keep praying for, to you for people in our lives who are far from the Lord. Pray for that one person. Pray for others around us, God, who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And then pray, God, we want to pray and we want to ask that you would use us, that you would use our families in great ways to bring people closer to you. We trust you with that. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.